Good morning, church. Good to see you today, and good to have those who are joining us live stream as well. If you're a guest, we especially like to say to you, welcome home. We're glad that you are here. We're in the second message of a sermon series in the Gospel of Matthew entitled, Obey Everything. Now that, of course, is taken from what we call the Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel. Last three verses, actually, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. Jesus says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. So what we're doing in this sermon series is we're working through the Gospel of Matthew. It won't be verse by verse, but we're going to cover a large portion of Matthew. And we're learning, looking at, studying the commands of Jesus, either by example or by his teaching. And today we're going to start with the Sermon on the Mount, which begins with the Beatitudes. Probably we've all heard of the Beatitudes, eight statements of Jesus on how to be blessed. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. The word Beatitude comes from a Latin root, which means happy. So it, these are the ways to be happy in our lives. Do you want to be happy or happier than you are? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to be happy? I want to be happier. I hope everybody's saying yes. I want to be happier. And, of course, that word's probably not deep enough, but you know, blessedness incorporates and encompasses happiness, joyfulness, uh, the abundant life, the kingdom life that we're going to have in heaven. We can start on that right now. We can be blessed, joyful, happy. We don't have to add anything to our lives. We don't have to take anything away. We don't have to have a person that we don't have. We don't have to have a person taken away. These are things that are within our control, the control of our attitudes, the beatitudes. The first one is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, we're talking about obey everything. This is not stated in the form of a command. It's really just a declarative statement. The people who are poor in spirit are the blessed ones. We can infer the command here, and that is to be poor in spirit. We need to be poor in spirit to be in obedience to Christ. I'm going to ask and answer this morning just four basic questions about this beatitude, being poor in spirit. Uh, they correspond roughly, not exactly, to the questions that are on your bulletin today. If you picked up one of the bulletins, the questions on the back are really family discussion questions. So you can take those home and over lunch, talk about them. I mean, talk, discuss these questions with your, your wife or your husband or your kids or kids with your parents, with your grandkids. I mean, talk about something other than the weather and the coronavirus. Right? So we can talk about what the preacher talked about in church today. But uh, so four questions about this business of being poor in spirit. Number one, what does it mean? Now, we can probably intuit what it means. We wouldn't be far off. But we're going to nail this down this morning. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? One version, the God's Word translation, renders this verse, blessed are those who recognize they are spiritually helpless. Blessed are those who recognize we are spiritually helpless. John Piper has five statements about what this means, and I like these. He says it means to be poor in spirit, a sense of powerlessness in ourselves, 
a sense of spiritual bankruptcy and helplessness before God. A sense of moral uncleanness before God. A sense of personal unworthiness before God. A sense that if there is to be any life or joy or usefulness, it will have to be all of God and all of grace. So talking about what it means to be poor in spirit. And we're going to take a look real quick here at some uh, examples of poverty of spirit from the Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. I'm going to do a biblical data dump on you right now. I'm going to read a lot of verses in quick succession. Don't expect anybody to memorize them or necessarily remember any particular example. Just want to leave an impression today. So allow this to leave an impression on us as we go through these quickly. Abraham was poor in spirit. He said, to God, I am but dust and ashes. Jacob said, I'm not worthy of all the unfailing love and faithfulness you have shown to me, your servant. Moses, when God called him to lead the Israelites out of Egyptian bondage, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people out of Egypt? I'm not very good with words. I never have been. I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. David, King David, I call this one Bad David. This is after he committed adultery and had Uriah killed. He says, the sacrifice you desire, O God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Good David. You might expect bad David to say that. Oh, I'm so, God, I'm so glad that God accepts a broken heart. But even when David was doing good things, like receiving a multi-million dollar offering for the temple, he says, who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. Solomon, O oh Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David, but I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. Job, now I've seen you with my own eyes. I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. Isaiah the prophet, woe is me, for I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. John the Baptist said of Jesus, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. The tax collector in Jesus' parable said, O oh God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The centurion, the Roman officer who had come to Jesus for healing in his family, said, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, for I'm not worthy of such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. The Canaanite woman, to whom Jesus had just indirectly referred to her as a dog, said this, that's true, Lord, but even us dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Peter, encountering Jesus, said, oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. The apostle Paul, I've got three from Paul because he was so poor in spirit. In Romans, he says, I know that nothing good dwells within me that is in my flesh. In Corinthians, he says, I planted the seed in your hearts, Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting. It's not important who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. And finally, Paul says, I am the worst sinner of them all. Not I was, but I am. This is the Apostle Paul. Now, there you go. There's, there's 16 verses, about 14 examples of people from the Bible greatly used by God. They all had this. They all got this. 
poverty of spirit, unworthiness before God. If they're to have any usefulness to God at all, if they're to have any joy and abundance in their life, it's all of God. They understood that. That's the impression that we want to leave. That's the only way into the kingdom, and it is the path to the abundant life. All right, so that was question number one. Question number two, talking about being poor in spirit. Why do we struggle with this? Uh, assuming we do. And I, I, I make other assumptions. I assume probably most of us kind of get this. You wouldn't be here if you did it. You wouldn't be a Christian if you did it. Uh, I understand this, but it's something we need to revisit often because even as Christians, we can struggle. We can, we can have this, and it's elusive, and we might kind of lose it. In John 9, 39, some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard Jesus and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, Jesus replied, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. So Jesus had just healed a blind man. He used that as a springboard to do some teaching on spiritual blindness, on pride and self-righteousness. The Pharisees are listening and they're saying, wait a minute, are you talking to us? Are you talking to me? Do you know who we are? We are the Pharisees. Are you saying we're blind? Jesus said, no, if you were blind, I could help you. But because you claim you can see, I can't help you. Why do we struggle with it? We're just like Pharisees. We struggle with this. In my neighborhood over in the preserve, a few years ago, there used to be a neighborhood ping pong game every Thursday night. You go to this guy's house, open up his garage, and all us guys that like to play ping pong would go over there and play ping pong. So I was playing with him one time. He was an atheist, scientist, stem cell researcher. We were playing. We had a conversation. He said, Steve, why don't you just admit that Christianity is a crutch, right? Christianity is a crutch. And I said, yes, you know, that's right. <laughs> Christianity is a crutch. And I don't remember where the conversation went after that. But if I was to continue it, I would say something like this. Why is that a valid criticism of Christianity? I mean, What's so bad about a crutch? What's wrong with a crutch? If you need a crutch, it's actually a useful tool. Right? A few years ago, I was uh, in California starting a two-week vacation. My brother-in-law, he may be watching right now, my brother-in-law got me out on a dirt bike in California. He said, if you can ride a motorcycle, you can ride a dirt bike. I said, okay. That's not true. And we got out on the road, and I, I took a spill and hurt my shoulder and wound up, I hurt my leg, wound up in a wheelchair. First day of a two-week vacation in California, I'm in a wheelchair for the next two weeks. Thanks a lot, brother-in-law. Uh, but you know what? I didn't resent the wheelchair. I was very grateful for the wheelchair. If it hadn't been for that, I would have had no mobility whatsoever. If you need a wheelchair or a walker or a crutch or a cane, they're very useful tools to have. So why is it that a critic of Christianity would say, oh, that's just a crutch. Why is that considered a negative? Well, we have a certain culture here in America, don't we, of independence and self-reliance and self-esteem. And here along comes a Messiah who says, you know, you're not going to be able to get into the kingdom on your own, relying on yourself or through your own independence. You are poor 
and needy before God. And that's hacking away at our religion. And it's not just American culture. It's part of human nature. That's that pride issue. That's a big blind spot for us that we struggle with. But Jesus said, Matthew 2.17, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. All right, so it's, it's poverty of spirit. We struggle with it sometimes because of our pride. Some people do have a genuine lack of self-esteem, and it can become paralyzing in our lives. What is the answer then to paralyzing poor or low self-esteem? For instance, one of the examples we used earlier was Moses, and when he was called to deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, his initial response was, no, I'm no good with words. My tongue gets tied. And God became angry with Moses over that. Why? It wasn't because of his honest self-evaluation. It was because God had told Moses, I'm going to go with you. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to enable you. And Moses was still looking at himself instead of looking at God. And God said to him, Exodus 4.11, God says, Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? No, God does. So go. I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. I mean, the, the antidote to low self-esteem is not to continue to look inside ourselves, is it? It's to look up toward God. Uh, let me tell you about Rob Mendez. Rob Mendez received the Jimmy V. Award for Perseverance at the ESPYs last year, ESPY Awards last year. I wish I could show you the uh, YouTube clip. YouTube won't let us use their clips anymore. But I encourage you to go look, look this guy up. Sports Center did about a five-minute profile on him. It's available at YouTube. And it is inspiring. It is stunning. Don't look it up now. Put your phones away. Don't look it up now. But after church, it would be worth going to see this. But let me just tell you briefly his story. Mendez was born without limbs due to a rare disorder. No, no arms, no legs. Unable to play football, he learned the fundamentals of the sport by playing the video game Madden. So as a kid, he would play Madden. He learned all about the fundamentals of football. He became a manager for his high school football team as a freshman, and he served as the team's quarterback's coach in his senior year. After spending 12 years serving as an assistant coach at various local high school programs, Mendez was named junior varsity head coach at Prospect Bay Area High School in Saratoga, California, ahead of the 2018 season. The team went 8-2 and two in his first year at the helm. At the ESPYs, at the, that award, after thanking his parents and other family members, Mendez said, and last but not least, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's Christian. His motto is, who says I can't? Nobody. He likes to say this. Who says I can't? Who says I can't? Who says I can't? Nobody. Yay! And the team does that with him. Why is that? He says, because God is holding me. And when God is holding me, I can. He's got two wheelchairs. He's got a physical wheelchair. And he's got a spiritual wheelchair. Now, isn't it true if we were able to put on our magic spectacles this morning, the ones that filtered out or screened out the physical and let us look at the spiritual, 
we'd be looking at a room full of people with crutches, canes, walkers, wheelchairs. We all come to God broken spiritually. And it's God who lifts us up and enables the disabled and gives us power. That's poverty of spirit, recognizing that. Okay, and fourth and final question. Am I poor in spirit? Am I poor in spirit? Like I said, we probably all are. But it's good to do this check every once in a while. You check you, I'll check me. Am I poor in spirit? I started off the John Piper's five statements. I I sent, it's a sense of my moral unworthiness. It's a sense of my spiritual need before God. Why? Why do we say that? It's a sense because in one sense of the word, everybody is poor in spirit. Nobody's going to make it on their own. We We don't have righteousness in and of ourselves. That's true of every single person, but not everybody is blessed. Not everybody is blessed. The only ones who wind up blessed, happy with the abundant life are those who sense it, who sense that poverty of spirit, who have an awareness of it, are not blind to it like the Pharisees were. Uh, We could go last Saturday. It was a boxing match for the WBC championship. It was Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. Right, Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder. And Tyson Fury, which is a great name for a boxer, won the match, went seven rounds, TKO in the seventh round, and uh, Deontay's assistant trainer in his corner threw in the towel. And you know, when you throw in the towel, that signals the end of the match. It's over. We quit. Well, that became a little bit of a controversy afterwards. They're doing their post-fight interviews and everything, and Deontay says, I don't know why they threw in the towel. I wish they had not thrown in the towel. I felt like I could continue to fight. I I would have continued to fight. Well, not too smart. Not too smart right there. Because it was a very, very one-sided boxing match. And Deontay was getting crushed. He was getting hammered. And the reason, why why does a boxer's corner throw in the towel? It's for the safety of their guy, right? To avoid serious and permanent injury. So Deontay Wilder was not really in a position to evaluate himself in the middle of that fight. And the corner did the right thing, the wise thing. Likewise. Now, here's our problem. We're not always in a great position to evaluate our poverty of spirit. We may think, yeah, that's me. I'm poor in spirit. I get that. I understand that. That's me. That describes me. Well, what, what if there was a test that we could take? You know, if, you're, if we are materially poor, and maybe we need some help, there's some financial tests that one has to take. If you're going for a, an income-based scholarship at a college, you've got to fill out some paperwork, say, here's my income, here's my expenses, here's my debt. Do you qualify for the scholarship? If you want a subsidy for health insurance, well, they're going to take a look. And how poor you are. You might be too rich for the subsidy or for food assistance, whatever it may be, there's a test. Is there a test to help us understand whether we really have a sense that we are poor in spirit? Well, no, not that I know of. 
but I tried to make one up. So I'll take my best shot at it. Uh, here's two or three things to think about. Number one, have we obeyed the gospel? Have we obeyed the gospel? Now, that's, that's biblical terminology. Paul says in Thessalonians, those who have obeyed the gospel. Well, you know, so God as Redeemer has given us four gospel commands. Believe, repent, confess Jesus as Lord, and be baptized. So a person who's poor in spirit has at least done that. If they haven't, there's a big question there. They haven't come to God and obeyed the gospel. In fact, when it comes to that last one, baptism, which is an immersion in water of a repentant believer, you know, when it comes to baptism, I've sometimes wondered, I know it symbolizes Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, but I also have wondered, maybe the reason this is a requirement right off the bat, to be born again and enter into the kingdom of God, is because it's such a humbling thing to do. Um... When you're baptized, for one thing, you're putting yourself in another person's hand, somebody you may not even know that well, and they're taking you down under the water, and your feet are going to flip up out from underneath you, and that's a little awkward, and then you're trusting them to get you back up, and if you've got makeup on, it's going to ruin your makeup, and if you've got hair, it's going to mess up your do, and if you've got your outfit on, it's going to be all clingy and wet, and this is not going to be your best day appearance-wise. Not a great photo op, although there's probably somebody there from the church taking a picture, taking a video. We can watch it later on screen. But it's, it's a little embarrassing, a little humiliating. And maybe that's part of, part of the point. Why did, why did God pick a baptism, total immersion in water right off the bat? Our pride, our pride is taking a beating. You gotta hum, a person has to humble themselves to be born again in this way. Here's another thing. Okay, so have we obeyed the gospel? Maybe this would be another thing. Uh, are we praying every day? Did we pray this morning? Did we pray yesterday morning? Are we praying every day? Are we coming to God every day? Is God uh, asking for our daily bread? Are we asking for God to help us with our temptation? Are we asking God to help us forgive somebody and then forgive us as we're forgiving other people? Are we asking God, out of your glorious riches, strengthen me with power through your spirit, my inner being, uh, fill me with your Holy Spirit? Are we saying, God, would, would, would your Holy Spirit love through me, be joyful through me? Would your spirit be kind through me and patient through me and faithful through me? Will your Holy Spirit exercise self-control through me? Are we reading his word every day so we will learn these commandments that we're supposed to obey? And then asking God, help me to want to obey and then give me the power to obey your commandments. We call things like this spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are not there so we can check them off and say, hey, I'm better than the people who didn't do this. Spiritual disciplines are, among other things, are conduits for God to empower us. The, the spiritual disciplines, prayer and the Word of God, this is the way we beggars get in that bread line. We line up in the bread line and beg God for bread, for nourishment for spiritual power and enablement. If we're not doing that, 
Maybe the reason we struggle, maybe, with the spiritual disciplines is not that we're so busy. Maybe it's we don't have that sense of just how poor we are, how impoverished, how much we need the Lord. Not just at one time in our lives, but every day, hour by hour, to get through that day. And so let me, let me conclude here with something Jesus said to a church, to a church, not to lost people, to a church. Well, let's just take it to heart for ourselves. You say, I'm rich. I have everything I want. Don't need a thing. You don't realize you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by power, and then you will, fire rather, and then you will be rich. Also buy white garments for me, so you won't be shamed by your nakedness and ointment for your eyes, so you'll be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent. Turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. We'll share a meal together as friends. And he'll pick up the tap because we're too poor to do it. Who says we can't? Nobody. We can't. With God, we can't. Father in heaven, we come to you remembering this morning, having you remind us today, spiritually speaking, we are poor. That's a good thing. That's the path to happiness and joy and the abundant life because we we need you, and now we know that we need you. And this is your posture toward us, loving kindness, mercy, goodness, and grace. You want to come into our lives, empower and strengthen us. Give us that good life right here, right now. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.